The Bible has two parts to it, and, and many of you, if not most of you, probably know this. There's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. There's 66 books in all, and in the New Testament, so Jesus is on the scene. He's been born of the Virgin Mary. He lives a perfect, sinless life. Uh, this, this New Testament is 21 books in length. 21 of them, or I'm sorry, four of them talk about this life uh, of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. 21 of them explain about Jesus' life um, and the meaning for our lives. And one of those books is a history book of the early church. And one of them is a book of, of prophecy. And all 27 of these books in the New Testament deal with Jesus, just as we've sung this morning, alive and risen from the dead. The central reality of all of the universe is him. And that's the way the New Testament talks about Jesus Christ that we're singing about this morning and we'll be preaching about this morning. Being very much God and very much man the God-man. And we're going to see that this morning. He has a real body and he really did die and God really did raise him from the dead. So he's perfectly God and perfectly man at the same time. And we're going to look at that this morning. And so what we want to, what I want to do this morning, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 20. Edward set it up for us when he talks about the resurrection and him appearing to Mary Magdalene. And we're going to pick up just following that in John 20. I want to look at two things from this from this text this morning. I want to look at what Jesus does and what he says, because we're going to see him appearing to his apostles. They are locked away and very afraid, and he's going to do something and he's going to say something that very much impacts us today. So let's read John chapter 20. Let's pick up in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So I want to notice a few things this morning about what Jesus does. There's really uh, three things that that I want to notice at first glance. And then we're going to ramp up and we're going to begin to climb very fast. The first thing is these doors are locked. It's not rocket science there. It tells us very clearly on more than one occasion. If you continue to read further, when he, when he appears to Thomas, it tells us again there, John writes, and he says that these doors are locked. So Jesus, it's the evening of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the days he, he rose. He had appeared to Mary Magdalene and now his disciples, his apostles rather, are behind a locked door, they're hiding, they're afraid, and Jesus comes to them. He, he didn't have to knock, he didn't open the door, he was simply there. And I, I know that may be one of those moments where you say, no kidding, he's God, he can do that, but he's not a ghost. So he's kind of like us, but he's not like us. He has a body, and he's going to go on and tell Thomas, he's going to say, look at my hands and look at my side. And in Luke, he records it, he says, Do you have something to eat? They give him broiled fish. He eats it. He's not a ghost. So he's like us, but he's not like us. He's God and he's man. The door is locked, right? He shows them his hands and his side. Luke 24, 39, Jesus says to them, touch me and see for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He's got a physical body. And, and he's simply there, regardless of whether the door is locked or not. And he could have, he could have recorded it, right? I, I thought about this all week. I think I've said this to Edward. He could have just appeared, and it could have said that Jesus just appeared to them. I don't want to make more out of this than is there, but John writes clearly on more than one occasion that this door is locked. What does that mean for us today? By Jesus appearing to them, 
He, he doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't, he's not a ghost, but he's physically there. What does it mean for us today? I believe it means that Jesus can go where nowhere else can go. No one else can go, right? Um, he can go where your counselor can never go. I counsel with a lot of people. Edward counsels with a lot of people. Jesus, he appears. He goes where your counselor cannot go. He goes where no doctor can go, right? Doctors are incredible science. They can see parts of the body. And Jesus can go where even your doctor can't go, where your, even your spouse cannot go, right? You know yourself better than anyone else, and then your spouse knows you better than you know yourself, right? And Jesus, I think John would want us to know here that Jesus can go even where your spouse cannot go. He can reach you. He can reach into you anywhere, anytime. There's no place where you are, no depth of who you are that Jesus can't penetrate. He's like no one else in the entire universe, right? He's alive. He's, he's the only one, the only God-man that can do this. He appears to them, and I believe that John would have us to, to believe and to know rightly, and God would, by his word, would say that, man, Christ, my son, is alive, like we sang, like we celebrate today, and he can go where no one else is capable of going in your life. The second thing I want you to notice in verse 19, he says that the door was locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they were afraid. Their leader had just been crucified. They were, the threat was to their life too because the, thro- the throne, the king, the, the, the reign and the rule of Caesar was being threatened, if you will. And so they were rightfully, justifiably afraid and into this fear, right? They're locked away into this fear Jesus appears. He comes. He appears to them. The fear is totally understandable. I, and I here's here's the thing this morning. I, I think I want you to to see this. I want to spend just a little bit of time here. I think you, I want you to see this because I'm I'm going to say for me personally, um, this is where and this is how um, the living Christ uh, shows Himself to me. Most often. Um, fear. And I get. I said to a man this morning. I get right. If you're if you're saying. Well do not fear. Right. God did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity. But a spirit of love and a power and of sound mind. I know that verse as well. I think I've seen it on a coffee cup somewhere. OK. But let's be real honest about our life. There are fears that maybe you've never expressed to anyone. And this is me personally this morning. Right. Fear that I won't be prepared to do what I'm expected to do from here this morning. Uh, Fear that the church, and it's God's church, and we have many leaders, but fear that the church doesn't prosper. Fear that my, my kiddos, right, my children... At some point when we grow, they grow up and you send them out, right? That they make a shipwreck of their faith, that they abandon the faith. I know it's early and I know raise your child in the ways I get get all that, right? Um, But some of you sit here today with wayward kiddos, children, adults. And I, there's a fear there. Fear that I, as a pastor, would drift into worldliness and uselessness. Become ineffective become more and like the world than, than I am like Christ. There's a fear. You, you, you don't drift into godliness and you don't, you don't, you don't just, or I'm sorry, you don't wake up and are godly. You, you're intentional and you, you, you go that way. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? God is responsible or God is sovereign, but man is also responsible. And so, Fear that I would drift into worldliness and uselessness as a pastor. And what Jesus is saying here when he comes to them behind a locked door, when they're afraid, I believe is I come to my own when they are afraid. I don't come to them when they get their act together, right? He didn't stand outside even to Thomas. If you continue to read on, he doesn't, you know, Thomas tells the disciples, he says, I know you saw him, but I want to see his hands and I want to see his side. And Jesus didn't come to him and stand outside and say, Thomas, you need to believe I'm not coming in till you 
No, he didn't do that. He appears even to Thomas and he says, listen, look, Thomas, here am I. He shows him. I don't, he doesn't wait in this moment, in this act. I don't believe he waits for them to have enough faith to overcome fear. I don't think he waits for you to have enough faith to overcome your fear. I believe what the scripture would tell us and what this says to us today, the risen, resurrected, living just as alive today as he was then, Christ says is, I come and help have faith to overcome fear. And I want to testify personally that this is still true, just like it was to the disciples, just like he comes to them in this moment, that it's still true that the risen Jesus is still doing this today. He hears me. He hears you say, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right. I believe, but help my unbelief. He comes, he helps, he helps me not be afraid. Uh, when I sat here on this stage as a, as a candidate, my wife and I were being interviewed and, and Elisa LaRue sat about where she's, where her husband's at. She would be sitting right there, that's where she was sitting that night. She asked me, she said, what's your favorite verse? And I gave her two, I gave her a, a New Testament verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Right. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And I gave her a second one. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous. Right hand. I've I have said that, read that and prayed that dozens of times, dozens of times, even this morning. God, I'm afraid. I don't know that I'm prepared to do. I've been here in this place many times, many times. And yet this morning, Resurrection Sunday. There's a weight to this morning that feels different than the other Sundays. Am I going to be prepared to do what you've graciously allowed me to do this morning? I don't want to be afraid. The promise of your word is fear not. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I am with you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand and righteousness points us. And we're going to look again in a moment, but righteousness is speaking of Christ because in the new Testament, there was an exchange that happened and Christ took your filthy, my filthy sin and he exchanged it for his righteousness. And so I take Isaiah and God to mean here that when he upholds me, he upholds me by Christ stepping into my fear, just like he did to the disciples here. And that's Isaiah preaching the gospel long before Christ would have been physically born. The third thing I want you to notice is that Jesus comes and he stands in their midst. He says that in verse 19, he says to them, he he comes to where the door is locked, where the where the disciples were fear were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Um, I think the point here is, is something I, I pointed to earlier, is that he came right in the middle of their meeting. He didn't come to the edge. He's not some distant, nebulous God that's far off and not near. The scriptures would say that his nearness is our good. Right? He's a, he's a God. He's a risen Christ that is near. He wasn't playing games with them. He wasn't toying with their faith. He, he, he wanted to wanted them, his apostles, to see him, to know him, to believe in him and to love him. And I would say, I would contend that that's what he wants for you today, for you to see him, for you to know him, for you to believe in him, for you to love him, to know that you can be loved in him. And I want that for you today. We prayed that for you today. I want you to experience Christ as Living, it's easy to read this, right? And even think of Resurrection Sunday. And that happened a really long time ago, right? And that must have been really neat for Mary Magdalene to have been in the garden and and mistake him for the gardener. It isn't that cool because sin was entered in in the garden. And here he comes, Jesus, in the garden, the master gardener. I don't think that's accurate. Oh, isn't that neat that she sees all that? No, oh, wouldn't it be cool? The apostles saw him and they saw me to fish and there were 500. Wouldn't it be cool to see, to be one of those 500? And here we stand today going, no, this is real for us today. And I, I get that Jesus 
has not and will not physically appear until he comes in his finality. But you can know and experience the living, resurrected, real Jesus Christ. And we want that for you today. We want you to know that he stands in your midst and you can he can draw near into your life where no one else can go. And he can help you in your fear in ways that no one else can. Right. That's what he is saying here. And that's what we've prayed would happen in this service for you today. So here now, I want to take a look at what Jesus says to them. So we're building here and now Jesus is going to speak to them. And this gets really, really good. It does. It gets really good. Let's look at verse 19 again. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. We we know that he speaks peace. He is establishing peace here. And this order is very, very important. And I'm going to spend the the majority of my time talking about peace. He's going to. He's going to give them a reason. He's going to empower them. And he's going to give them a purpose to go and and power to do that in. But the order here is absolutely critical. He's going to give peace. And that peace is absolutely critical before you can ever take action or ever have purpose in your life. And I know this to be true. They didn't initiate peace with Jesus by their actions here. They're locked down behind a door in their fear. They're rightfully fearful. They're justifiably afraid. I don't know what that looked like. I'm I'm sure it was silent, right? I'm I'm sure it was very quiet. I'm sure it was dark. I'm sure that there was apprehension about every noise that they heard. and, And Jesus initiates peace. He steps in the middle of where they are And he initiates peace with them. Look look at what, or just hear rather, what Ephesians 2, write this verse down. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. This is how the Apostle Paul explains this peace. He says, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace who made us both, referring to Jews and Gentiles, one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near For through him, we have access in one spirit to the father. The peace that Jesus offers the disciples is peace that is accomplished only when he died on the cross. Only when he died on the cross. This is not a world peace kind of thing, right? This is not peace signs and 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 lots of whatever. This is a different kind of peace. This is the fact that God, there is hostility towards sin. We are born dead in our sins and trespasses. You are by nature an enemy of God. That is Ephesians, clearly. We could spend a whole month of sermons there. And we are hostile towards Him. And He is going to, as a righteous judge, pour out and judge sin, pour out His wrath. He is going to discipline sin for all time. So there, we we are not... Good. He is not our homeboy. Okay, he's not this God that is okay with because you lived a life that wasn't pleasing to him. But maybe no, he is hostile towards sin. The Bible is clear about that. All sin. It doesn't matter how far, how wide, how deep. It doesn't matter. He is all sin is offensive towards him. And so he. And, and Jesus comes to them and he says, he speaks peace. And it's interesting in verse 20, he says, he said that when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why? Right. Why? Why does he have to show? He's the resurrected Christ. He just appeared to them for goodness sake. Why does he need to show them? They just experienced the brutal death on the cross. Why does he need to show them his, his hands and his side? 
because they, they had just run. They had just denied. They had just handed him over. They were afraid. Holy smokes, he's probably very angry with us. He's not real happy with us right now. He, there's no way, Jesus. We're happy he's alive, but, but there's no way he can be okay with us. We just handed him over. We just, ra- we just ran. We abandoned him. We wanted to stand up and we couldn't. We wanted to and we, we couldn't. When push came to shove, we fled. And Peter, man, Peter, three times and the rooster crows. And, and Peter there, right, he, he shows him his, his hands and he shows him his side. He says, hey, listen. I'm the one who died. I don't think there was any doubt, but he's he's saying, I'm I'm the one who died and I'm the one that you abandoned. Right. I'm the one who was pierced for your transgressions, Isaiah 53, 5 would says would say. And the reason that he could offer them peace is because when he stands there and shows his hands and he shows his side is because his blood had covered their sins. And if you would trust me, this will never happen. Be counted against you. Never. That has to be settling, right? You come and, and this man, this Christ, this God man appears to you. He was dead and he's not in the tomb and now he's alive. He's eating a fish as Luke records it. And so now he's there. And is he angry? Is he not angry? We denied him. We abandoned him. No, I died. I bled. Peace. When he hears that, that has to be incredibly settling for them. Peace. We're going through the book of Joshua in, or I'm sorry, we're, we're looking at the life of Joseph in, in youth. And this is Joseph in, and it's in, in uh, Genesis 43, somewhere thereabout. He's, he's going to reveal who he is to his brothers. It's great. It's this passage in the old, it's the gospel in the old Testament. So the brothers are there and Joseph can barely hold himself back anymore. He's emotion. He's full of emotion. And so he, he go, he says, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph. I'm the one you sold in the slavery. I'm the one that you, he says all of this to them. And you have to believe at that moment, they are like, holy smokes, this guy's second in command of all of Egypt. He's going to kill us. We did those things. And that's really our brother, Joseph. And he says, Hey, but go get dad, go get dad peace. We're okay. We're okay. It's the gospel in the old Testament. And that's what Jesus is saying to them here. Peace. The wrath of God, right? We just sang about that. The wrath of God is satisfied. He's saying peace, right? We're okay. And God's wrath is satisfied. I just took it for you, man. Right here, right here forever. It's what Paul meant when he said Christ reconciled us both to God through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. All the hostility between God and us was absorbed on the cross. I made peace with these, Jesus says. Justice was satisfied. Peace between you and God and me is established. Peace, the Bible is, I, I think there's probably more. But I really I want to identify a few areas where the Bible speaks clearly to the kind of peace that was established. There's no doubt. And we just looked at there's peace between God and man because God is going to judge the living and the dead. He poured out his wrath on his son and we'll speak to this in a moment. But he's not this. Bushy eyebrowed, surly old man in the heavenly of heaven that is waiting for you to mess up. And when you do. Even though you're his child, he's going to open a can. That is not the God of the Bible. It's not. It's not. He did that on his son. And so what happened at the cross was that wrath was absorbed in his son. His son took that on himself. So there's peace between those who are in Christ, between those, the saints, and God. I don't have to walk around afraid. That he is holding his nose and he thinks I stink because of my sinful life and my my whatever goes on. Right. I have peace because of what Christ did on the cross. Also, peace between us and others. Galatians three would say it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. To be reconciled to God is to be. Reconciled with others, period. That is the great commandment. Love God and love people. And first John 
in all three, I believe, of his accounts, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, would write this way. You cannot say you love God and not be right with others. He says the truth is not in you. So being reconciled to God means peace, reconciliation between you and others. So now there's no racism, right? No sexism, no classism, and no other isms that you can imagine, right? Because there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no gender. We're all one in Christ. There's also peace between us and really ourselves or your own soul, if you want to say it that way. I hear over and over um, people say, I mean, really more often than I can, than I, than I want to believe is really true. But maybe this is where you're at today. I just can't forgive myself, man. If you just knew what I did and what I do and how, where I've been and what I've done and, and what I still do. I come here every week and I still do these things. If you, I just can't forgive myself. And, and I finally responded to a man last week. And you know what I said to him? I said, that's what Good Friday's for. You're in Christ. That's what Good Friday's for. Right? Hebrews 9 says it this way. The blood of Christ will purify our conscience for, from dead works to serve the living God. You didn't have any good works before Christ. None. No, not one. Period. And so those who are in Christ, it's easy to look back and feel guilty or feel condemnation, right? But rather those that are in Christ should no longer feel guilt or condemnation because for Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those in Christ. We should feel conviction about sin. So now we begin to put to death sin. How? Ephesians 6 calls this the sword of the spirit. So we now put to death sin by the word, by the sword. And so there's no, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame, right? We just sang about all those things, but now there's conviction of sin and we're pursuing holiness. So we don't drift into worldliness and uselessness, right? So Christ's coming and appearing. Yeah, there's he satisfied the wrath of God. There's peace there. And there should be now reconciliation and peace between you and others who are in Christ, but also in yourself. Let's be honest. So if you're beating yourself up, man, you, you need to hear Jesus, the living Christ saying today, peace. And I, I took that. Stop taking it on your own, on yourself. And then and then lastly, I struggle with how to write this. So I'll say it and then explain it. But peace with the world, right? It doesn't mean that there's no war and controversy and it's not tumultuous. But but listen to how Colossians one writes this. And and I think Edward referred to this earlier for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Speaking of Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross this is not the first cross, and, and I don't think the last cross, but this is his cross. He's the God-man hanging on that cross. And when he hung on that cross, yes, the redemption of mankind. So the great rescuer went to the bottom of the ocean to pull you out, but also reconciling everything to himself. Revelation 21.5 says, behold, I am making all things brand new. He doesn't just say here in Colossians that he is, that he's reconciling just humans to himself, or he's reconciling only mankind to himself, but he's reconciling all things to himself in heaven or on earth. And I believe what that means is that you and I are called to persevere, to, to live with patient endurance, right? Life of patient endurance. I, I don't enjoy turning on the news and reading that there's a tsunami in another country that's wiped out a million people. I don't. I don't enjoy turning on the news and see that more Oklahoma is devastated by a tornado. I don't. That's that's not the perfection of creation, right? That's sin. All of creation was broken. Okay, you need to know that that everything, everything, not just us, but everything was broken. And when he is in the process of making everything brand new. So you and I are called to live a life of patient endurance. I don't like the wind. <laughs> I don't. And Friday, the wind was blowing. And if I'm out there very long, it gives me a headache like no other. And I'm irritated by it. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be wind in heaven, Edward. I don't. 
because it's, it's limiting, right? And there's nothing limiting there. But man, I walk away and I'm, and then I, when I, when I, let myself go back here to this passage in Colossians or in Revelation 21 or in Isaiah 9. Hear this. He says, of the increase of his government and, the, and of peace, there is no end with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I'm called to live a life of patient endurance. All things that are limiting, we are going to have to deal with and be patient with. But there is a day when he returns and there's no more limitation there's no more sin, right? So he, he speaks of peace. The Bible would say peace with God the Father, peace with others in Christ, peace with ourselves, peace with the world. And maybe, just maybe, and prayerfully, you would say, how in the world do we even experience that and know that? Because right now I'm sitting calm, cool, and collected, and I'm smiling, and I have a brand new Easter shirt on, and I'm glad to be here. But inside... I am raging like a wildfire, right? Everything inside of me is chaos. Chaos. Now, I, I'm, if, if I'm, maybe this is for me this morning, and that's why he asked me to preach, because I need to know that. I know that anxious fear inside and everything inside of me, right? I can, I can look at peace. I can. I can play the part and everything is chaotic and everything inside is uncertain at times. And and so how in the world do you know this? How do you because not everyone has it, period, dot, not everyone has it. It's a gift. It is a gift. We receive it or we walk away from it, period. Maybe you say it like this. You receive him. Or you walk away from him. John 1.12 says this. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus offers that today. It's free. And I have most definitely prayed and others have prayed that you would receive that today. I've spent most of my time here on the gift of peace because it is foundational. Um, if you don't have peace with God, um, what, a- what happens is in life, we begin to spin our wheels because we're like, man, I just don't know why I'm living. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So we get busy, right? Right? And maybe it's in a church or maybe it's just in life. Maybe we, we get busy in the church or in life and, and, and we have this action that makes us feel better about maybe who we are and what's going on. So we, so we have this right action and then our attitude seems to, be, seems to be different. But all the while, we're doing that on our own and there is absolutely no power because there's no peace and you're still at odds with God, period. So Jesus, I believe... The order here is critical. When he comes, he speaks peace to them. And he would say that to you today. Man, have you continued to walk away? Or have you just received and and accepted the fact that nowhere at any point in time could you ever do anything to make yourself right with the risen Savior? Ever. Ever. And to receive that So let me close in talking very briefly about power and purpose. Don't check out here because I want you to, want you to hear this. The, the prophet Isaiah in 32, this is a last minute just verse this week that I had not remembered ever reading. But in Isaiah, 30, Isaiah 32, 17, it says, And the effect of righteousness will be peace. I think it was interesting because Christ alone is righteous and he comes and he gives you right. He imputes righteousness to you in exchange for your filthiness. And so the effect, the effect of righteousness will be peace. Jesus says peace. And the result of that righteousness is quietness and trust forever. Um, so peace. We, we are recipients of peace. Salvation being born again. And then 
Jesus here is going to talk to his, the apostles about what he has planned for them, what they're to do, how he's commissioning them, and the power that they need to be commissioned in. So let's look at verses 21 and 22 real quick. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What is my purpose in life? There you go. Verse 22, here's the... Here's, the, here's how he empowers them. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So in the book of Acts, uh, Jesus is going to pour out his uh, spirit when he ascends into heaven. So he's been telling of that. He's been telling of that. He's been telling of that in Acts 1.8. So this is this is at Pentecost that it's going to happen. That's 50 days after this moment, right? Penta five, Pentecost, 50 days afterwards. And so in Acts 1, 8, he, Luke writes like this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. OK, so there's the power. That's how he's empower, empowering his disciples. And then we get to Acts two and he's the, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. On, at Pentecost, Acts 2.33 is when, that's, is when that happens. But, but what does John mean when he writes, receive the Holy Spirit? And, and let's, let me just be honest with you. I couldn't ignore the text for you, okay? Because I know some of you are going to say, why did you skip over that? Why do you tell us what that says? And, and here's, here's where I land and here's what I believe is true because we, we take Scripture to interpret Scripture and Jesus would say that He cannot send His Spirit unless He is glorified. He's not yet been glorified because He's not ascended to the right hand of His Father. So the Holy Spirit couldn't have come. This is not John's account of Pentecost, but this is a foreshadowing, if you will, of what's to come. And John writes like that often, things that are in the future. And so I take this to mean that John, and, and listen, 50 days is not a lot of time, right? Jesus is there. He's going to be with them for, for 40 days. And so 50 days later, there's going to be this incredible sermon. All these people are coming to the, to the city and Pentecost is going to happen. And, and they're going to experience the Holy Spirit in a way that has never been experienced before. And so I see this. I read this as to be something that's going to happen. Jesus breathing on them, just like he breathed on Adam and, and God breathed on Adam in Genesis 2, 7. He breathed and gave him life, right? I'm, I'm breathing and saying peace and I'm breathing life into you and I'm commissioning you to go and do something. So that's their power. And that's your power when you are at peace with God. The spirit of the living God makes his dwelling place, his habitation in your body, you become the temple of the living God, is the way Paul would write about that. That's the power, right? So now we are, are right with God, peace with God, and we're, we're at peace with others. And, and now we don't have to be condemned and guilty about sin. But there's no shame that remains. Why? Because of the cross. Good Friday. And the Spirit comes and lives inside of us. This person, this power is our only hope for accomplishing what he's about to tell them to do. Verses 21 and 23. Verse 21, Jesus says to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And then look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What was the focus of Jesus's ministry? What did he go around proclaiming? The forgiveness of sins. That was the accent mark, right? That was the exclamation. That was the focus of his ministry, the forgiveness of sin. And this is going to be the focus of the ministry to come for the disciples as well. This is John's great commission, if you will. Matthew 28, right? Jesus is with them and he, and he, he says, man, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and I and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He has commissioned them. We're at peace. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now go in that power, not on your own, because if you do, you will fail miserably. So go in the co-mission, right? And this is John's commissioning here. This is his recording of this here where he would say, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus comes. He gives us peace with God. He gives us power to do all kinds of things that mere humans cannot do. I mean, let's be honest. Selfishness, who defeats that on their own? We're comfort junkies. Who denies self on their own? I don't know anybody that does that. We're looking out for me, number one, right? Me, myself, and I. We don't do that in our own power. So the the Holy Spirit comes and, and we are empowered to do things that me as a human being, you as a human being, cannot do on your own. Defeating selfishness, loving other people. Do you know any unlovely people? I mean, let's be honest, right? We know those people. And there's no exclusion in the scriptures that you don't love them. No, there's not. Be right with God and be right with man. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. That's that's what the epistle writer wrote. And and what about treasuring Christ? Right? We are so bombarded with the, the pattern of this world as Paul writes about in Romans. So he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Those are the unwritten laws of the land, right? That you have to be and act and do a certain thing. There's no book on that. It's just the way it is. You live in the world and that's who you are. Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do you need to transform your mind? Because your mind is hostile towards God and you need repentance. And repentance, the word for repentance is metanoia and it means a change of mind. And so your mind is set on yourself. It's fixed on yourself. And so Christ comes and he steps into the middle where you are and he says, peace. To those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And so then no longer do you live for self, but you live for the absolute, unrestrained glory of your maker. You don't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. You do that on your own. You do it for yourself. For the glory of yourself. So Christ is the treasure. And he comes and he says. As the father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. I am sending you to extend my peace. My light. My truth. In my life. In my world. I am going to my father. But I'm giving you the spirit to empower you. So go and glorify me. In this world. And that's our great purpose. In the presence of. In the. In the peace of God, by the power of God, to do the will of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of others. Right? In the peace of God, by the power of God, to do the will of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of others. And so what does he mean in verse 23 when he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Right? I believe what Christ would say here is this. In this when he's telling them this, he would, he would say to them, when you tell people about what I have done, when you sing songs about what I have done, that I am risen from the grave, trampling over death, there is no sting anymore, right? I am the cornerstone that the builders rejected. When you tell people about what I have done, when you speak my word about my work in the power of the Spirit, I am speaking through you. And if they believe your words, I forgive their sins. And if they don't believe your words, I don't forgive them. Now that has massive, massive, massive implication here. You don't want a guy standing in the pulpit that doesn't preach God's word. Because you don't need to believe something that's not God's word. Amen? And so when we preach God's word, there is an incredible burden that's glorious here that we preach Christ exalted at the right hand of his father. Right? We preach his word. Why? Because someone out here is going to believe that. 
And if you don't believe the scriptures and you believe man, where does that leave you? Empty and hopeless, right? And so we preach Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is if you tell people all that I've done, my about in my word, about my work, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am the one that's going to speak through you and I'm the one that forgives their sins. And if they don't believe you, I don't forgive them. And since you are my voice and my truth, I speak of you forgiving them and withholding forgiveness from them. I believe that's what John means here because I don't have the power to forgive your sin and you don't have the power to forgive my sin, period. And the scripture is without flaw from beginning to end. It is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Will stand forever. The grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so what does he mean? He means that when you, we have a great commission to go and tell We just do, right? It's not sit and soak. That's not what this is. It's go and tell. How can they believe in whom they've never heard? And how can they hear unless a preacher is sent? That's how the Apostle Paul writes that. And so if you are in Christ, right? How how do we, we go? I have fears. And so I cry out to him. I say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And he comes to me because he says, I am your God. Be not dismayed. I will help you. I will uphold you. I am your, I will hold you in my righteous right hand. And I say, okay, I, now I believe. I fix my eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of my faith. It doesn't mean that I'm not born again. It doesn't mean I need to trust him. <laughs> That's what it means, right? But for some, and even those in this room, man, you spent your whole life doing it on your own, period. And you've showed up to church and you've taught Sunday school classes in other places, quite possibly here, and you've, You've given lots of money and you've combed your hair and brushed your teeth and you've done all those things, hoping, just hoping, man, that God would be pleased with you. And let me just put you at ease today. He's never going to be pleased with that, ever. 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 Because he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do that through your good deeds. He did that through his son Christ, that there would be good deeds. Right? So, so to you today, I say, man, would you hear the words of, of Christ being spoken by a fallible, needy individual. I'm human. I struggled with how my hair looked this morning. I struggled if my tie was straight. I struggled with, you know, wearing a shirt that was looked like an Easter egg, Tony. I just did, okay? But in the in the middle of that, I'm pleading, I am pleading with the Lord that He would speak that he would rescue, that he would reach to the bottom of the ocean. You're not treading water today. You're not treading water. He doesn't need to throw you a life preserver. You are dead on the bottom of the ocean floor where no submarine, no camera. There's, there's not, I don't even think there's life forms down there. You are there and Christ descends from heaven and picks you up and breathes life into you. He says, peace, you are God's enemy but now he wants to receive you as a child. He says, be at peace. Just receive it. Just believe that he did that, right? And that you no longer want to live for self, but you want to live for him for eternity, making much of him forever because he's the treasure. He's the great reward. So Paul would say, I have the the ministry of reconciliation if I'm a if I'm a child of God and so and I'm an ambassador, we know that message, that verse well, most likely, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And so as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, I am pleading with you today, be reconciled to God. Receive as a free gift his peace. And know that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you could ever fulfill his great purpose for your life. Let me pray for you. Father, I know all too well where there's a moment right here where inside is chaotic because we we are wrestling with 
the fact that you are saying to us, come. You're standing in our midst and you are saying, peace, don't walk away from me. Don't reject me. Look, these are my hands and this is my side. I'm here in the middle of all of your fear and all of your uncertainty and all your chaos. And and I'm the God of order. I speak life. There was nothing and I created everything by my word. And so today I speak peace into your life. And so prayerfully, Lord, over the next few gracious moments, there would be someone that who is an enemy of you that would receive peace that comes only through what happened on Good Friday and because your son Christ raised was raised from the dead. And so I pray that John one twelve that 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 person would receive him, that that person would believe in his name and that they would be given the right to be a child of God. And that now there's no hostility with God, but they it's a perfect heavenly father that receives his child. And God, for those in this room that know what it means to be born again, to be a child of the living God. And yet there is this constant, maybe it's daily, maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly, but there's this constant just going back and this whisper, this little voice that says, you'll, you'll never be good enough. You'll, you'll never, all of those things you did, all of that stuff you did, all of those places you went, all those lies, all of that. And the voice is true. It's true. But man, today, Day, would they hear what the writer of Hebrews said that there is a clear conscience because the, there's no more dead works now there's works of righteousness because we are in Christ we have been perfectly united with Christ and I pray as they hear and look if you will into the perfect law of liberty as James writes that they would be liberated today. They would be free today from the bondage of sin. Pray for freedom to reign and rule in this place as Christ reigns and rules over this place. God, would you do, continue doing your great work in the next few moments we have, I pray. In Jesus' name.